welcome back and thanks for tuning in to Oil & Gas Onshore, where I am on a relentless pursuit to bring value, unity, and information to the energy industry one conversation at a time. So sit back, relax, and remember that even this very device you're listening on requires some form of hydrocarbon. This episode is brought to you by Technip FMC, a company who truly represents the future of energy. Hey everyone, look, not only do you get awesome weekly content by listening, now you've got a chance to win some serious swag brought to you by Technip FMC. Each week, one lucky listener will win a bundle of gear, which includes everything I'm about to list. Seriously, everything. An audio duffel bag, a Yeti tumbler, an executive power bank power charger, a Columbia neck gator, and a set of Ace Pods 2.0, which are the true wireless Bluetooth earbuds. All you got to do is click the link in the show notes and enter your information to win. Simple. Now go get your swag on. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm here in Zoomland with Rob Lewis, Chief Innovation Officer and Co-Founder of Evolve Village, and also Sanjay Batia, Co-Founder and Chief Operating Officer with Evolve Village. Gentlemen, thanks for taking time during the holidays to come on the show. How are each of you doing this morning? Very good. Thank you. Yeah, doing great. It's our, our pleasure to be here. Awesome. Well, no, it is. And, and I'm excited to have both of you on. And I always I'm curious. And, and Rob, I, I wouldn't have guessed it. But before we started recording, you mentioned where you're recording from today. So Rob, where are you joining us from today? I live in a little uh, seaside village called Dana Point, California. We're like right at halfway between Los Angeles and San Diego. Okay. And let me guess, it's blue skies at 75. 99% of the time it is. Right now, it's a little cloudy and overcast. It's like one of our two rains of the year we're going to have today. <laughs> nice. So instead of snow, you're getting a little rain. Yes. Well, it's easier to shovel rain than snow. So it's okay. <laughs> yeah. As a former Canadian. Exactly. Yeah. You know, it's funny because in my garage, we still have the shovel and the little scraper with the brush. And it's just like part, it's just in, inherited in me. Like I have to have a shovel and a thing when in case like, you know, a few days during the wintertime here in Texas or all, most of February last year to scrape the windshield. So it's, you know, and then the shovel, I don't use it for snow, but perhaps mulch that gets blown onto the driveway or something. I don't know, but you always need a good shovel and a scraper for the windshield. So Sanjay, what about you? Where are you from? Or where are you joining us from today? I'm in the Woodlands, Texas. Woodlands. Perfect. Well, I Unless the weather's a lot different than Katie, it's it's a beautiful day outside today. It sure is. Yeah, we're lucky. Yeah, no, we definitely are. So how's everyone's holiday season going so far? It's been good. It's been busy, still kind of working away a little bit and yeah. taking it easy with the family. So it's it's all in all pretty good. Thank you. Okay. Yeah, good. Rob, what about you? You said you have some family coming into town? Yeah. Yeah, my parents are visiting from a couple hours away. So we're going to have a nice staycation here at the house. Perfect. You know, obviously this year has been, I would say it's kind of like trying to climbing out of a bad hangover. Obviously 2020 was nuts. 2021, there was some light at the end of this tunnel, which the tunnel just seems to get longer and longer, but I feel like there's light. And so Rob, I'd like to start with you. What are some of the best moments for you coming out of 2020 and then 2021? I mean, certainly there was, there was some silver lining and, but I'm curious, what are some of the best moments for you this year? Yeah. 2020 was an interesting year. You know, I, I think not a lot of people were spending. Everyone was kind of hunkered down trying to weather the storm. Mm -hmm. And we were working with a lot of companies that were, were really struggling. You know, you know, when we work with small companies and mid-sized companies that are looking to pivot or change, it's always a challenge. And you throw the COVID climate on it. And, and it, was, it was a real struggle for a lot of companies. Yeah. yeah. That struggle did actually give birth to the whole Evolve Village. Okay. So, you know, I guess maybe, maybe that was the high point was the concept and the need for this type of a service. 
Yeah, I would agree. Sanjay, what about you? What are some of the best moments for you in 2021? Oh, 2021. Yeah, I would say, I mean, I'm with Rob. 2020 was a year where it was very difficult for everybody in, in the sector and for us included. I mean, we, we kicked off with a consulting business right before COVID hit and we were really busy and then everybody was struggling. And so we had to re, reinvent our business model or, or really create another leg to our business model. And when we talked to startups, they said, what you do is great on the strategy and helping us think about market segments and so forth. But we need we need you all to carry it to the next step, which is actually help us make connections and open doors and help us generate revenues. And that's going to be the lifeblood for our business. And so we had this idea, actually our CEO had this idea all along, but I think last year was really a catalyst for us to execute on it and launch the village. So that was last year. And I think the highlights of this year is we're as a team really bonding together to make it happen. And we built up a village community, which is really exciting. And over, I think, 105 or 110 villagers right now. And thank you for being a villager, Justin. Yeah, of course. It's so exciting. It's been really exciting to build that community up and renew friendships and make new friendships through that. So that's been a personal, you know, real highlight for me, as well as work with companies that have really cool, innovative technologies and figure out with the villagers, how do we you know, best bring that to the, the end customers and communicate the value prop. And so with all that, we're really excited about 2022 and how do we continue to you know, evolve the village? Yeah, no, and, and I'm excited to dive into it. And, and before we do that, I do need to highlight some fascinating technology provided by our sponsor, Technip FMC. Technip's iComplete ecosystem is digitally enabled and delivers efficiency benefits by dramatically reducing the components and connections while simultaneously providing real-time data to operators about the WellPad operations. Technip FMC is continuing to push the limits in order to achieve full frack automation. To discover more about all the benefits of iComplete, click the link in the show notes or check them out on LinkedIn for more details. Also, we're doing our monthly happy hours here in Houston. Check out OGGN.com for more details on all our events. And if you're looking for other podcasts that may include leadership, ESG, new technology, Road to C-Suite is another very interesting one. Visit OGGN.com and check out all the other podcasts we have coming out. 2022, we also have many more coming. So keep your eye on the on the prize there. And just for reference, I have a ton more downloads than I have reviews. So please, for all the listeners, if you could leave a review, you don't have to necessarily write something, but just click how many stars you think it's worth. Even if you think it's one star, it's good. I appreciate all of it. It just helps me plan my business and help improve the podcast for everybody. So anyway, gentlemen, back to you guys. Again, I want to talk about Evolve, but I'm always curious and, and I don't, cause I don't know you guys very well, but what for each of you is your favorite Christmas movie? There's got to be one in your household that you watch just about every year. Is there not? Oh yeah. Okay. Rob, which one's yours? Well, our family, the Christmas season kicks off with Hans Gruber falling off of Nakatomi Plaza. So okay. yes, Die Hard is a Christmas movie. Nice. You know, it's funny. I've heard people say that. And I never knew that until coming down to the U.S. People love that. But I can appreciate that one. Sanjay, what about you? I'm going to say a traditional movie is Home Alone, but oh, yeah. we also like Ocean's Eleven. And we watch that as a family. So okay. just, love, just the mastermind aspect of it. Yeah. I've watched it maybe it's been years ago, but the one we've watched every year, there's two. 
you know, Christmas vacation, national lampoons is just, I laugh. I think I laugh harder every year as, you know, as we watch it every, it's kind of like those movies where you more, you watch it, the more you realize how many sort of underlying tones are in, in there. So that's one. And then elf, I'm a huge Will Ferrell fan. So again, I'm geeked out over those two and and they, they're almost on repeat for the most part in my house and my, my kids and wife go nuts, but I love it. And then the old Christmas music as well, but that's interesting. I, I can appreciate that. It's this time of year is so exciting. It's my favorite holiday. So I had to bring it up. So Rob, I want to get back talking about a little business here and I'll start with you, but where are you from originally and how did you end up at Evolve? Talk a little bit about your journey from a 30,000 foot view. Was born and raised in Southeast Kansas and took a job at a munitions plant is where I first got into industrial controls and automation and software. So my whole career has really been digital, software, data. Huh? You know, started did a five-year stint with the Department of Defense and then moved into doing some system integration where I got into pretty more hardcore industrial controls. Uh, eventually created my own industrial control system. It was hardware agnostic, software-based control systems. So everything's really been focused on digital my entire career. Interesting. Okay. Is that something you always were interested in or you just sort of fell in love with it after you, you know, after high school or college or what does that look like? It goes back to my early childhood. You know, my father took a electronics correspondence course. You know, so I was a 12 year old kid geeking out on my dad's textbooks, you know, studying those and learning those and taking, taking the tests after he did. Ah, interesting. So that, so- that got me into you know, electronics at an early age and that moved into computers. So wow. you know, I, was the, I was the guy that while my friends were all out partying and dating, I was sitting at home soldering together a power supply for my computer I was building myself. Right. You know, it's funny. So growing up, I was on the flip side and I'll be completely, you know, transparent and disclose this. But yeah, I was the guy who was out partying and having fun and and not worrying about schoolwork. But the ones who did and who not who were not you know part of the cool kids club now are the cool kids and us folks always look up to them now. So it's funny how the tables turn. So I'd imagine you're probably I don't know if this is the same with you, but it's funny over time that you know what was once not considered cool now you know the digital age and technology and someone who can build a computer is in much higher demand than can someone that can go out and take shots with a bunch of friends. So I admire that. <laughs> Yeah, I have a joke with my daughter. I say, you know, when I was a kid, I had it tough. You know, being a nerd wasn't cool then. <laughs> yeah, right. And it is now. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny, man. And then, okay, so you did that. And then, so at what point did you, I mean, because obviously being out, or well, how long have you been in California for? I moved here in 91. Okay. When I started creating the process control system, the software-based control system, I needed to find some place that was a hotbed for the technologies at the time. Yeah. And at the time for the software skills that I was looking for, my choices were either Silicon Valley, Orange County, or Boston area. And, and gotcha. I went with the weather. Yeah, yeah, I don't blame you. And do you like being close to the water as well? I do. Yeah. You know, th- th- this is a great area. You know, I can, like Christmas Day, I can get up. And now that we got some snow this week, I can get up and surf in the morning and ski in the afternoon oh. if I choose to. Oh, that you're yeah, teasing boy. me, man. How many places you do that? <laughs> That's great. And so how did you get connected with Sanjay and the rest of the team? Sanjay was leading the M&A team that bought a technology that I created. I think we started the due diligence process about 2010 and wrapped up in 2012. (laughs) Yes, it was a long process. (laughs) Yes, it was. Sanjay's laughing now. So there's some underlying history here. Was it a little bit not quite as, as expected or how did that go? 
a two-year due diligence process is a bit long, so there's some beer time stories to be had within that. Uh, okay. Rob was great to work with on the whole acquisition, but there were some other circumstances that were quite comical to reflect on now. Yeah. Uh, very politically correct, Sanjay. I like that. i won't i won't dive into that but but maybe over a glass wine or a beer then because that sounds interesting but that's fascinating and so you guys obviously had a history together and then what you know what made you decide hey i'm I'm gonna go in with the team and and go with evolve after the acquisition i was working for a large company that was really i I felt it was really hard to make an impact you know i'd always i'd always kind of been in a small to mid-sized company you know, and I was always able to create and build my own technology and come up with my own business strategies. And with a larger company, you know, I just felt somewhat stifled. Sanjay's timing was great. He called me and said, hey, I'm, I'm putting together this evolved collective idea and got some really cool ideas and concepts. And you know, what would you think about coming to work? And I thought, you know, his timing could not be better. So, you know, here we are. Excellent. No, that's and a neat story. Yeah, it's really, I uh, enjoyed it. You know, we've got to put our heads together and brainstorm come some great ideas and concepts. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we kind of started out as consulting, you know, helping companies pivot, grow, you know, and I was helping on the technology side. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then we kind of, as we started working, you know, especially during COVID, you know, we realized we just, we, just get, we need more firepower to help these guys out. Mm-hmm. And that's when we, we kind of came up with the idea of how do we get the firepower you know, so Sanjay and I, we were working with these companies and we're trying to help them and we're trying to open doors ourselves. And we had limited resources with each of us, right? So we, we kept going back to the same people over and over again. You know, and COVID complicated that. So people get tired of having us call and email and say, hey, got a new pitch today, different day, new pitch. Yeah. No, it's it's interesting, actually, you mentioned that because I've been in sales and business development now for, well, since about 2013. And before COVID, it was a lot easier to develop new relationships and then strengthening those relationships, building trust with people, spending time with people to eventually spending time with their families and and really increasing the density of relationships. Whereas then once COVID hit, and I think it's common occurrence amongst, you know, just business in general is, is you really leveraged and relied on the existing relationships and those relationships perhaps got even stronger but developing new relationships, entering new markets, trying to talk with new, you know, sub communities of people within certain markets became very difficult. And so I can appreciate your guys' approach on how you've created, you know, the villagers with such a mass network. I think right now, especially, and, and I, I think this in this in this sort of technological age where you know, Zoom now is, it's become a verb or, you know, it's become a common, hey, let's get on Zoom or, hey, let's do a Zoom. I think that's going to be common. And a lot of the meetings I used to have in person with folks now are just always on Zoom or Teams or whatever platform you use. But I can certainly identify with you on that. Can you speak a little bit about sort of the relationships and the networking part of it that you're observing? Yeah, it was really interesting because we all had contacts. You know, we've, we've had long fairly successful careers. And we've been in contact with a lot of people that we work with that we, we stayed in contact with, you know, you know, as, as you work throughout your career, there's, there's some, some people that you just go, you know, I got to stay plugged in with these guys. You know, this guy's uh, he's just got it dialed in, you know, he, he's someone I always want to, you know, stay in touch with and keep working with. Mm-hmm. And, you know, those are the kind of people that we had always kind of kept that relationship with. But a lot of them, you know, had kind of dulled. Some of them, you know, had we as we all get busy, you know, we don't keep up with people the way we want to. 
And then when we came to this idea of the village, you know, we all kind of started making a list of, you know, who are all these guys that, you know, we've worked with over the time. And, and, and I say not guys, non-gender specific. Yeah. 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 No, and for sure. Who are these? So we all had our list. So we started reaching out to our list of all these people we worked with that, you know, that we, we wanted to stay in contact with, admit to. And we started to kind of rekindle those relationships and started bringing them on board as the, you know, to be members of the village. And then once we had a strong base of those type of people, you know, those, those people were reaching out to other people. So it worked really well for us. And I think that we built a very strong network of villagers to help these people through, you know, we're the second, third generation people right now trying to just plug in the people that make impacts. Yeah, no, it's quite powerful, you know, what we can do with networks. And then it's fascinating, you know, when that, when I sort of came across Evolve and met with Becky and Scott, you know, of course, just looking on your guys' website, the amount of people you have with such wide spectrum of experience from all over the world, essentially, is very interesting and kind of like, wow, like the amount of people and connections and, and just ability to get into people's offices is quite interesting. And so, Rob, and before I get moving on to Sanjay, as chief innovation officer, I'm curious, and this can be whether it's business, personal, just just in general, but how are you planning on innovating this year? Is anything sort of on your mind to say, you know what, like this is the year we're going to push towards something different. Does anything come to mind? Yeah, I think really we're looking at uh, platforms right now. How do we tie everything together? Mm, Connectivity, yes. Internet of things and just general digitization. The way that the software tools, data analysis tools, cloud technology even intelligence, the edge has the tools themselves have evolved so rapidly. There's so many partial solutions out there. You know, right, right now, this whole Internet of Things and digital initiatives is reminds me of very much like the early days of the Internet. Ah. Things were starting to form and starting to gel and people could see it was going to make a big impact and affect a lot of things. But no one really knew how it affected their business yet. Everyone wanted to be on board. They wanted to be on the train, but they had no idea where that train was going. You know, and eventually, you know, several waves passed and there was great innovation and great technologies that were merged. Some were jettisoned, you know, and then there'd be another wave and then those technologies would merge. And eventually it started to become very clear what the internet meant. You know, it, it changed how business works everywhere right now. And this whole digitization is really those early waves of similar to the internet. Okay. And people have all these great partial ideas or a piece of software or an idea that solves a part of a problem. And right now we're still really looking at these and trying to figure out how do these go together? How do we combine these ideas and concepts and technologies and pieces of solutions to be an overarching, real impactful you know, suite of ideas and technologies? And that's really what we're putting together right now is, you know, What's the best in breed for all these ideas and concepts and technologies that start trying to push this way forward? Yes. And that stuff is so fascinating. We could have a whole podcast talking about, you know, Internet of Things, Web3, Metaverse. I mean, yeah. a lot of this is buzzword stuff, but but I've tried to take, you know, a decent percentage of my time to understand it and to see where the opportunity lies. But I agree with you. I mean, connecting and, and really leveraging things that are available, but then just, you know, beefing them up. And, and again, I mean, I'm sure you, I mean, that's, that's more your, your speed and, and more obviously something that you're directly involved with, but at some point I think it's, 
everyone needs to have a basis understanding of all of this because it's it's imperative for the success of business. That's interesting. Sanjay, so I'll bounce it back to you. You have a lengthy history in energy. And so would you go ahead and tell the audience your story and, and how you ended up with sure. Evolve? Yeah. So my father is in the oil industry. He's long retired, but... okay. And as I was growing up, he, you know, the oil industry has always been up and down, up and down. I mean, ever, I remember growing up in, in the seventies and eighties, you know, the, of course there's 85 crash. And so he always told me, don't go in the oil business because of the cycles. <laughs> yeah. And so anyways, I was pre-med bound and I got to college and I realized that wasn't for me and I switched over to engineering and then somehow I fell right into the oil and gas industry much to my yeah, do exactly what your dad saying. told you not to do. I, I, exactly. I, I so I don't know way. if I'm, it's probably rebellious or, but anyway, I, I really, I, I went into it because I'm technically savvy, but I really enjoyed the technical plus business side of things. And I started as a reservoir engineer and I found reservoir engineering was exactly that. It was, you know, technical, but a lot of, you know, thinking about where to drill, when to drill, managing a field, thinking about the, the man, optimizing the economics, integrating some technologies. And back when I started, there was a technology wave around horizontal drilling and early fracking where we did three stages. That was the state of the art back then. And so I felt, I thought that was all fascinating, but I started in the industry where there was, it was a really hard time right after the first Gulf War and we were contracting again. And so I said, I got to get out of this industry. I went to business school and right out of business school, I jumped right back into the industry. So I think there's something about this industry that I just love, even though it's sometimes not very easy. And I started in working at a large consulting firm. I went over to FMC Technologies and ran corporate development. That's where I had the opportunity to work with Rob and end up acquiring technology that he created and then brought him into FMC Technologies, which later became Technique by FMC yeah. with the merger of Technique. Cool. And that was great. That was a great one for me because I had the opportunity to see lots of different technologies and see how it integrated into the FMC family and to really enable Sub-C. And they, we were doing some things in, in the shale. And with Rob's capabilities and technologies, it goes right back to what he was saying about you know his passion for innovating around integration. That's exactly what we were doing was he brought in an IoT capability and we were trying to automate the subsea as well as the surface. And so I really you know developed an appreciation and passion for new technologies and left shortly after the merger and started to just do some freelance consulting, but there's lots of limitations to that. People were asking me to do things that were just outside. I was I was running, you know, HR and I was doing acting as a CFO and just things that oh, were very diverse skill exactly. set. Sound well, that was where I was like, I need to work with a team because I'm probably doing things where I'm, I'm a little bit too dangerous. <laughs> and worked at a startup with Becky, our our CEO, and we realized something that two things. One is that there isn't really a a great consulting model for new technologies and startups in particular, because where I grew up at a large consulting firm was far too rigid and expensive. And we wanted to create something that was very tailored and brought the right expertise in a very flexible way. And then the second thing we learned is sales for new technologies is very difficult because there's, there's a lot of cool, cool technologies, but to be able to communicate the value and tie it to how the end user thinks about the technology within his or her business, it's very difficult to crack that nut by yourself. 
And we also realized relatedly that peer-to-peer recommendations, especially experts or people who are in the industry who could see a technology and say, oh, I know where this belongs, or I know how to communicate the value is hugely important. And we saw that when startups or new technology companies get into a little bit of trouble generating revenues, then out of necessity, they start to cold call and they start to just, they do things that aren't highly effective. Yeah. And I'm not trying to, I understand that because when we all get into that mode of we need to generate revenues, you'll try everything under the sun to do that. Of course. And and yeah. so, and so that's really, you know, that's where really my combination for technology and helping them really reach the market. That's my personal passion as well as our partners, uh, my partners. And so that's, that's what really drove me into, you know, the collective and the village. Right. And that's where I want to dive into next. And so I had, and for the folks who've listened for a while, you, you may recall, I had Becky and Scott on this probably about six months ago, and they did a fantastic job of, of really, you know, giving a good overview of the value and just explaining the business and, and what you guys offer. And it's great because like we've been talking, it's, it's many companies struggle with not only placing their product effectively, but then converting that into sales. And so, you know, from your guys' perspective, why is that a challenge? And, and why do you think that's a problem for a lot of companies? Because I think it's pretty common. A lot of it is understanding the specific value prop for a customer, right? A lot of these things are really a solution sell. And to effectively sell a solution, you have to understand the customer and you have to understand what their problems are, what keeps them up at night. And you have to be able to actually mesh that technology or that product or that service with that customer's problem. And that can change a lot from customer to customer. And to do that, you really, it's best to have a long running relationship with the customer to understand what keeps them up at night, right? You yes. Know, a traditional solution to sell where you have to build the relationship up front sometimes takes you know weeks, months, years to develop that relationship and that understanding of the customer's needs. Mm-hmm. And that's really where I see the power of this village concept. You know, those relationships have already been built over years with the, with a lot of these villagers, and and they live and breathe these customers and their problems and their business. Yes. So our challenge isn't building the relationships with the end users. We've already got that. What we spend our upfront time doing right now is educating our villagers on the technology, and then getting their feedback on how that technology how it solves the problem. What solution does this technology bring at a very low specific level? Right. And we'll bring the villagers up to speed and the villagers already have that relationship and they understand that. What is that solution? What problem are we solving? So it really short circuits that solution cell. And it does. And so what I want to do before we keep going, because I'm sure if the folks haven't listened to that episode with Becky and Scott, they're probably trying to figure out like, wait, so you guys, you have villagers and you, you sell and what? So if one, just, I want to make sure that we get some good clarity on that. So can one of you just describe again, what is Evolve and like a typical sort of scope of work of what you guys offer? And then we can dive into more detail. Sure. I'm happy to start and then have Rob fill in. Sure. So what we do is we, you know, a new technology company will come to us or we'll reach out to, you know, we, we do quite a bit of marketing and reach out to get our name out there, but typically a new technology company, it could be a startup or it could be a new technology within a more established company. So both of those situations apply. They come to us and 
we have a few conversations to understand, like Rob's saying, uh, for us, before we turn it over to the villagers to understand the technology and where the end user market and what the value prop is. And then we look at our community of villagers and pick six to 10 villagers that are deeply passionate about that technology, have an expertise within that area, and also have, we think, have a very solid network that could apply to this technology. And we basically bring them into a panel discussion and allow them to understand the technology from the CEO or the person representing the technology from the company standpoint, from the client standpoint. And the that gets that presentation's done. We allow the opportunity for each villager to have follow-up session with the technology provider, the startup, if it is a startup. And basically, you know, get any additional questions answered. But also to Rob's point earlier, that villager is going to have in his or her mind, how this technology could apply to a certain customer pain point, how it might apply to a midstream company, or how it might apply to a certain oil and gas operator, or how it might apply to an oil field service company, whatever that end user, that villager has in mind, he or she will ask specific questions related to that, but then also say, you know what, the way to message your technology and connect to that pain point I suggest you make these tweaks to your messaging or have a case study that looks like this. And so we take all that feedback from those villagers and we work with the client to really adopt that feedback as best we can, as efficiently as we can. And then they're ready for launch into the entire village community. And what we're hoping, well, the intent of that is you have six to eight or six to 10 villagers that are really well-versed, very excited. They're, they're ramped up in the technology and then they help bring the rest of the community to that level of knowledge. And so now we've got activated as many villagers as possible to take this technology out to the market. The other important aspect is, and Rob touched upon it, is a lot of times we'll see technologies that are very, very cool, but very specific. And a lot of times when we talk to the, let's say it's an oil and gas upstream technology, we talked to a couple operators and they said, you know, this is really great, but this is such a specific technology. It'd be great if you're able to add in a couple other technologies and it'll be a whole complete solution. And one example is we work quite a bit in the automation space, putting sensors in and pulling data from the oil field. But if you're in an area that has very poor connectivity, that's not going to work. So some of our end users have come back and said, well, I love this technology to automate, but I'm in the middle of Wyoming and there's no good cell service. Ah, great. Well, we work with another startup that provides communication services in these remote areas. So now we can integrate those two things. And then the next thing the operator might say is, well, I need dashboards. I just don't want data coming in. I need to be able to have some AI and dashboarding. Well, there's another company we have in our platform that could provide that. So in that simple example, we can integrate three technologies to provide a more complete solution, then take that to the villagers and then take that out to the end customer. So it's a network effect plus our ability to integrate point technologies to create a more meaningful solution for the customers. Excellent. Rob, I mean, Sanjay pretty much took it away, but I'm sure there's something you'd like to add as well. <laughs> yeah, it, Sanjay did a, a great job there. So there's not a whole lot to add. Other than the fact that I think it's interesting that we can package technologies to create, not only package technology to create a, but we package specific technologies to solve a bigger problem. 
but we can also take general purpose technologies and make them more specific to an application. So it, it really works both ways. Yes. No, I, I couldn't agree more. And that's, that's fascinating. So what would you say is the biggest mistake or, or challenge that startups or scaling companies have right out of the gate? Like when these folks come to you, what it's typically, you know, something that's very obvious. That's like, okay, this is some low hanging fruit. Can you, either one of you describe what that is? Yeah. So what I see in later stage companies that have decent commercialization is they go out for a raise and they raise as part of the fundraising, they put such a high bar for revenue growth for the next year. And so a lot of times that creates a huge challenge because they need to expand into new market segments, expand geographically, and they haven't quite geared up to do that. And so that's one area that we like to help. And, you know, part of, you mentioned it earlier, a large part of our village community is also in internationally. So we can help those companies that are ready to go international, go international and help them generate that revenue growth that they promised their investors in the last round. And I've seen cases where, unfortunately, a startup is otherwise successful, but they just can't meet those hurdles. And then the investors become discouraged and things start to get very difficult and challenging for the startup. So that's one instance I'll throw out there. Gotcha. Rob, what about you? Do you see any sort of big mistakes that scaling or startup companies face? Yeah, well, one interesting thing I see, you always hear of startups failing. You know, they always say they ran out of money, right? You know, they, yeah. you know, running out of money generally isn't a cause. It's, it's, a, it's a symptom. Yes. So a lot of times you have to dig in and find out where are they running out of money? And a lot of times I find that we find that that is really describing product market fit. You know, that the product market fit might be there, but it might be around messaging or you might have to slightly tweak things to make it fit. You know? Right. So that's why one of the first things we do is we try to understand what is that, that value prop? What is the actual product market fit? And how do we, how do we modify or change or tweak the, the messaging so the end user understands what really is the, the product market fit. You know, what is that value prop as it pertains to them? Yeah, no, it's interesting. And I, I've fortunately, you know, with podcasting now, I've had a lot of folks, whether it be startups or scaling companies or, or folks that are, you know, trying to really get their message out there. If I had a dollar for every time someone couldn't actually explain what their company does effectively for someone who doesn't, isn't in their team, because when you're working on it every single day, you know oh, this is the best thing since pants with pockets. Like this is going to solve the world's problems. But I would say 99.9% .9 of people can't effectively articulate their mission, their vision, and a proper elevator pitch. Because oftentimes you may run into someone at a networking event. And if you can't within a minute describe what you do, where it adds value and how it's going to help their business, they've got a thousand other people knocking on their door. And so like, it's fascinating to me. And I've asked a lot of folks and it's like, okay, so... You've just spent 10 minutes explaining what you do, but I still don't understand what you do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like yeah. it's, it's actually quite funny. And I don't know if that's just a function of, you know, proper sales skills or marketing skills, but I think that's a skill that needs to be worked on dramatically. It's just my observation. A lot of times we'll see people solve a problem that they've seen in, in, in their lives, right? Mm -hmm. And sometimes, you know, sometimes it's just they have a cool technology. You know, we have, I got this great idea for this technology. We've got to build it. And, and sometimes they build that technology based on a problem they've seen or they've had in their careers. But a lot of times you need to step back and go, well, yeah, it solves that problem, but look at all these other problems it solves. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's where you use kind of the inventor or the founder 
you know, they they are, it's that classic, you know, they can't see the forest for the trees. And sometimes you just need a, a community to come in and look at this and go, Hey, yeah, you do solve that problem, but look at all these problems you solve. So right. let's widen the net. That's right. And, and I think just in general in business, the biggest challenge is effective communication. And I think that's another very large problem amongst technology. And, and a lot of what I see too, is companies that are founded by engineers, by scientists, and they just honestly just quite can't really well communicate to the other, to the market. And, and while they can communicate amongst each other, a lot of times they're not selling to scientists or engineers. They're selling to the finance folks or they're selling to operations folks. And so it's, it's really bridging that gap, I, I think, is just some, often a challenge. Sanjay, you started saying something. I want to give you the opportunity. Yeah, I was going to say, I think it takes that plus a lot of trust. And it's very fascinating to me. There's a tendency for somebody to try to oversell. I'll give an example. Technology that say, oh, I'll help reduce 70% of XYZ costs in the field. And I think a lot of times that's just not believable. It may be actually true, but until you've established that trust and it's been verified, mm-hmm. some of the claims that I think the technologies make without having that trust, just it doesn't help the situation. It's almost like somebody calls you up and says, I have a stock that you need to buy today, Justin, that, that I guarantee you will double in the next month. And it may be very well be true, but you're probably not going to believe it out of the blue. Right. It's not going to sound trustworthy. So I think there's a lot of that going on. And so you really have to connect with the value prop like and the how this is designed to say solve the problem, but you also have to be very credible in how much you can solve and have that trust. And I think that's part of the villager because if you have a villager that says, Yeah, I, I think I believe this technology really works, I'm an expert in this, and that helps the credibility factor with the end user. That's a great point. And I will say this, Sanjay, if you called me and told me to buy a stock, I would, because I've heard you're pretty, you're oh. a wizard, you're a wizard when it comes to the stock market. So <laughs> there's not too many people I would, but Sanjay, if you tell me one, <laughs> buy it. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> I wish I had something I knew would double in the next month. But. Right, right, right. Yeah. And for all listeners, this is not investment advice. This is simply for entertainment purposes only. <laughs> oh man, that's funny. I had a little inside to, you know, the conversation with Becky there. So I, I might have to pick your brain on some other things, but that's another story for another no day. No worries. Yeah. <laughs> another beer. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. My tab's growing exponentially here. This is good. I want to take a quick pivot if you guys are good with it and talk there. There's been a lot of conversation and, you know, unless you've lived under a rock, you're well aware of the energy transition we're going through. And it's funny because I think we're always going through an energy transition, right? But, but now it's, there, there's a lot of sort of externalities that are coming to play regulations, policies, the investment community, there's certainly a push to head in in, in a bit of a different direction. And and Sanjay, actually, you wrote a very interesting article. And and for the listeners, I'd encourage you to connect with Sanjay over LinkedIn and uh, check out the article he wrote because it it was very easy to read, but it also had a lot of good information on there with regards to the race to the energy transition is what it's titled. And and so I'm I'm curious if you could talk about that because it ties into the Evolve as well. So if you would describe the article and, and what you, the message you were trying to deliver and how Evolve is actually helping with that. Yeah. First, I'd like to say that the whole village team really helped out with the ideas in the article. So I can't take all the credit. Well, your name's on there and it's the only one. So, <laughs> But no, I appreciate that. And <laughs> one of the, I think one of the observations we all had 
over the last year is just some of the tragic events of you know the Texas freeze and you know how many people were affected and the, the death and the loss in property and, and and so forth. And then we've all read what happened in the UK with the lack of wind and their natural gas prices have shot up. And actually, I saw something the other day where our natural gas prices are in the four to five dollar range per million cubic feet, but in in Europe it's still pushing twenty five dollars. So you think about that and you think about how important energy, you know, having reliable and cost efficient energy is just for humanity. And I think people like us, we're fortunate enough that we could probably, you know, financially that we could handle if gasoline hits, you know, $10 a gallon, or we had to pay, you know, our, our heating bills double by three times. I think the three of us on, on this podcast are, are probably just fine paying that, but there's a lot of people in other parts of society that just can't. And majority can't, ultimately. Majority can't. And what's interesting is pre-energy, you know, oil prices and natural gas moving up in this country, the lower 25% of the economic, the socioeconomic part of our society, half their disposable income went towards energy costs. So if you imagine energy costs doubling, that's their their entire disposable income. And they still have to cover rent and food and other basic necessity. So so one side of the coin is we have to make sure that we have secure energy, reliable and cost efficient for not the three of us necessarily, but for the parts of the society worldwide that are trying to climb out of poverty and, and have a decent, you know, basic human necessities. They shouldn't be held back. And that, that's the same part of society that I think the pandemics hit really hard. Yeah. It's not fair to give them a double whammy. And so that's one side of the coin. And we've seen like the Texas freeze and the escalation in prices, especially in Europe, that's hitting that population really hard. And then you combine it with the entire energy transition discussion, which a lot of it tends to be, oh, let's just flip a switch and go to solar or let's go to wind or let's move entirely to hydrogen and let's do that you know, fast, as fast as we can, which I, I totally believe that. But there has to be a reasonable path where you where you can have energy sustainability and also clean up the air. And I think the path to, do, to doing that is really natural gas, which is fun is funny because it's not a new idea. We talked about natural gas being the transition bridge for the next 10 to 15 years. I mean, we talked about that five years ago and then some, suddenly I think it became taboo to say that, but I don't think it should be. And the other aspect from our work is, I would say two things. One is there's a, a lot of really neat technologies in the methane detection area that makes it very cost efficient for an operator to go deploy and reduce their emissions. So I think as an industry, we can take a lot of these technologies. And if you think about recapturing methane, it's actually economic and you could you have more methane to sell if you, if you fix these leaks. And we've run through some of the economics and it makes a lot of sense to do it. And it doesn't put an operator necessarily out of financially out. So it doesn't hurt the economics. And so that makes a lot of sense to do. And the second thing, and this is where Rob's expertise really kicks in, is if we put AI on top of it and really understand you know, all the data that's coming in from all the emissions data that's coming in can be processed and analyzed from an AI perspective, we could do a lot of good to reduce methane emissions and bring that down. So we could have a very clean, in the U.S., and I would say Canada too, a very clean source of natural gas that we could supply the world. 
and do that very responsibly. And then we don't have to rely on countries like Russia to supply natural gas to Europe, which I doubt they're going to have any, they're not going to be at the same level of clean air responsibility that we would be. So yep. that's the basic premise is let's focus more on natural gas. We have to, it's just a necessity. And that doesn't take away from advancing solar and wind and hydrogen and nuclear or geothermal. Right. Uh, we still continue developing those, but just the reality is those aren't ready to serve humanity on a big scale yet. Yeah. Until that's done, we need we need natural gas. Yeah. I think that that also kind of leads into a really interesting concept of where the village fits. You know, we talked about how there's waves of change with technology and industry, but there's the same waves of change with energy transition right now. We are going from traditional, you know, drill, baby drill, you know, just give me the last thing you gave me the, you know, give me the product you delivered the last time because it's, it's the cheapest, it's the safest to, you know, where do we go from here? You know, this industry has been around for a while and it is transitioning. We're going to go through these several waves of technology, innovation changes until we get to where we go. We don't know where energy transition is going to end up right now, right? Right. So, And we're in the early stages of that, just like we talked about technology and the internet of things. And the village puts us in a very unique position because our village is full of knowledge and expertise and experience in the traditional energy field. But on the other hand, we're working with all these new technologies and startups and great new concepts. So we've really got one foot in the traditional energy sector and one foot in where this thing's headed. You know, we don't know where it's headed, but we we definitely have one foot planted in it with all these new technologies and startups. That's right. So we're kind of becoming a bridge from the old to the new. Mm-hmm. And that's what it's going to take is that bridge. And Sanjay, I, I would agree with you. I'm very bullish on, on natural gas and our friends, and I call them friends. I think everyone within the oil and gas community, we're all friends and we're all here for you know a lot of the same purpose, but our friends at EQT and especially Toby Rice has, has made a big push recently, sent a letter to Elizabeth Warren really. And I read the letter and it was well, re- it was well written and someone hopefully, you know, in the in a political space could read it and understand it. But the political resistance that we have right now is certainly a challenge. And, and hopefully we can all come together and really just continue to educate. Because I think that's been a lot of times a challenge within the oil and gas community. We, it's, you know, we're the villain and it's us against the world, but we all have to come together and we have to integrate technologies. We have to integrate solutions and again, I think that's what, such a such a huge opportunity for folks like yourselves at Evolve to be able to, to help support that and build that bridge and really bring in folks from all walks of energy. And so, yeah, just plenty of opportunity and hopefully be a huge part of the solution that we're all you know working towards by 2050, which is a long time from now. But go ahead, Sanjay. Yeah, and I'm I'm with Rob on this one. It's really interesting to think about 2050, which is you know 29 years away. <laughs> yeah, and I don't think any of us is going to predict exactly what the energy, you know, the energy supply is going to look like. What percent is going to be the various sources? I think we could take bets now and see who's closest. And <laughs> but I don't think any of us will be the three of us will be very close to what the actuality will be. There'll probably be new technologies we haven't even thought of that will come to the forefront. But I, I keep thinking about the next five years. What is it that we could do in the next five years that's very well in our control? And I think an important aspect is if you're a regulator, you got to realize we have one atmosphere around the world, not not anything more than that. 
And you also have to realize that anybody who's burning coal, it doesn't matter if it's in the woodlands, Texas, or it's in China, that is hitting that one atmosphere. And so globally, we need to, we just need to phase out coal. And what's interesting about it is Europe with all the progressiveness they have on this topic, Germany still burns a ton of coal. I mean, I think a third of their energy supply is coming from coal. And so why is that there? And we're not, I'm not saying natural gas should be the answer in 2050, but I am saying that it would make a lot of sense to shut down those coal fire plants and replace that with responsibly sourced natural gas. Yep. If no. you want to clean up the air as rapidly as possible, I think that would be a big step in the in the future, regardless of the solar developments that are happening or hydrogen developments that would be ready, you know, 2035, 2040. But things that we could actually do in the next few years, I think that would be that would be top of the list. Yeah, I agree. And again, I think with the development of LNG, that really helped gas markets on a global perspective. And it wasn't just, you know, whoever had the reserves could leverage it. Now that we have the ability to have a you know a market similar to oil where you can sell it and ship it on a global scale, again, could help relieve a lot of issues. And I know the US is, I think there's quite a few LNG plants that are in construction mode and, and and set to be ready for you know commercialization here soon. But yeah, the, the natural gas topic is very interesting. And I have a friend who works in Denver at Res, which is a huge wind company. And it's interesting. You talk to folks who are well educated in the space; they're very pro natural gas. You know, he's been in the renewable space his entire career, and he'd be one that you'd think that you know you mentioned oil or gas, and there would be this huge conflict. But he embraces it, and he think, and he and he you know he would sit here and, and very much agree and, and have a very interesting perspective on the topic. But yeah, it's you know again, there's certain challenges that come along with that. But again, it's folks like Evolve and other technology companies that can really hopefully take away some of the negative perception and provide solutions and proven concepts and, and technologies that will actually hopefully change the perception and sort of preconceived notions towards a lot of this. Because, I mean, you go to some places and you mentioned fracking, they still think you're going to light their tap water on fire. And that's just the reality. And, and we need to change that that narrative but you know, there's a lot of folks that just still just aren't properly educated in it, which is sort of you know very frustrating to say the least. Mm-hmm. Yep, a lot of people just want to flip a switch and we have clean energy, right? Yeah, you know, and you know that's just not realistic. You know, we need a transition that's driven by science, engineering, and technology. Yeah, right. Yeah, we, we will get there. It's not going to happen overnight, but it's got to be sane and it's got to be you know driven by these technologies. Yeah, it does. And and to think that, you know, why not use countries like Canada, US, and a lot of these, you know, sustainably operating countries, instead of encouraging others to open the taps to regulate pricing, it just seems a little bit counterintuitive to some degree. But again, I, I don't want to dive too deep into that topic. But at the end of the day, it's interesting. I'm excited. Like I said, I think there's lots of opportunity. And so Sanjay or Rob, if there's companies out there who've listened to this and who think, wow, you know, I'd really like to connect and perhaps think they're a proper fit and a good fit for Evolve, what's sort of the best way that they can sort of answer some questions amongst themselves to see whether or not they actually fit the mark? Yeah, our website would be a great place to go, which is www.evolve-village.com. And we explain more about what we're up to and can see the, the villagers and the process that Rob described earlier that we take the startups through or the new technologies through. 
Okay. That'd be great. And then it's a informal community. So just even reaching out to Rob or myself on LinkedIn, you know, message us, we'll get back. Yeah. Perfect. Well, what I'll do is I'll put all the links in the show notes. That way it's easy for folks to scroll and they can just click. And I encourage anyone out there listening to connect with Sanjay and Rob over LinkedIn. A lot of good content coming out. Again, Sanjay wrote a great article and just a great community to sort of follow along with. But yeah, for the listeners out there, Sanjay or Rob, do you have any closing last words or any message that you'd like to relay to the folks listening? We're honored and excited about being part of the larger community. And you're right. I mean, it's lots of great friends and an awesome network to be part of. And obviously I try to escape a couple of times from this industry, but I keep getting drawn back. I really, <laughs> I really love it. And the energy transition is, makes it even more interesting and exciting and with all the technologies out there. And so I just want to, you know, as we look to 2022, you know, hopefully great things are, are coming for all of us in, in this sector. And get past this pandemic and you know everybody has an opportunity to really prosper and we'd like to be part of helping people succeed excellent well with that said i have one last question i'm going to ask each of you it's not to do with business and maybe it is i don't know but rob i'll start with you what's something about yourself that not many people know about do you have any sort of hidden hobbies or sort of something interesting that even maybe some of your friends don't even know does anything come to mind that's a good question one of the things I get a lot of most joy out of right now that I don't think a lot of people are know I do is I coach a special needs baseball team. Wow. That's and a, it, fascinating. It's just, I, I get so much out of that. You know, I, I just really hope that at the end of the day, the, the kids can get half out of it, what I do. It's just like the most rewarding, fulfilling thing I've ever done in my life. Wow. That says a lot about you, Raul. I'm glad you mentioned that. That is so cool. How long have you been doing that for? Eight years now. Huh. Interesting. And then real quick, how did you do that or start it or get into it? I have a daughter with special needs and okay. started taking her there as an activity and wow. just started watching the, you know, started watching the kids and just really got into their sense of accomplishment for many things that happened. And mm. I started kind of getting ideas on better ways to adapt the program, you know, because we have kids from literally this year, we'll have four to probably 15 okay. with all different needs. You know, we, we have kids in electric chairs. We have kids that can swing for the fences. Yeah. And I started getting, getting ideas on how to adapt the program for each individual child. And I kind of stepped in to assistant coach and kind of took over the team. And now we have, you know, my wife is very active with the district, the little league district. So we're making sure that the kids get supplies and support from the league. And we just kind of, we just kind of taken over that whole section of the league. And it's just, it's just been a great thing to do. That's so commendable, such a selfless act. I'm sure it requires time and effort and energy. I applaud you. That's amazing. And especially, you know, as a, as you know, I'm a father of kids to be able to give back and really just, yeah, give back and, and help kids that otherwise may not have that. And that's huge. I think that's amazing. You have a big heart, Rob. I, I can appreciate that. Sanjay, yeah. what about you? Yeah, I guess this is not a secret, but I think a lot about financial aspects. And so one of the things I like to work, especially with younger folks, is how to invest and how to manage finances. Because I think, especially at their, it, it's, well, one thing is it's never too late to start, even mm -hmm. if you're in your 50s or 60s, it's never too late. But especially younger folks, if they start earlier, then they're empowered to really have the finances to chase their passions. And through my career, I've seen a lot of people that have been stuck in a job that they're not that excited about and working for people that they're, you know, that it's just not a great 
situation, but they're stuck there because of their financial situation. So to me, I really like to help younger folks think about financial aspects and that'll actually empower their career, I believe. Wow. So that's, that's what I like doing. And I could talk for hours on that. Young people probably get sick of me talking. Uh, so no, I, I think that's I think amazing. It is. And so actually that is a personal sort of passion amongst myself and our family. My wife, she's a founder of Wicked Holdings, which is a real estate investment company, but she's written a book and she's almost got it published. It's a book written for kids on financial literacy. And she is very passionate about that. She's going to be starting a podcast talking about financial literacy. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so she wants to really empower a lot of kids because it's sad because in our education system, a lot of, I mean, I know growing up, I never was learned on how to invest money or how to properly save. And just a small example, she's raising capital for a huge project that she has. And and the minimum investment is six figures plus, and it's just depending on the investment, but she was talking to a close cousin who was interested in you know, you know mid thirties and she said, Oh, minimum is, you know, X amount. And he said, oh, I haven't lived long enough to even think about having that much money. And as someone in their mid thirties, again, everyone comes from a different walk mm-hmm. of life. Everyone has different circumstances. And I'm not here to say everyone should have a hundred thousand dollars in their bank account. But if, if a lot of these little principles could be taught at an early age and just like, you know, management, how to manage cash flow and all these sort of things, which I'm speaking to the choir, it was like, you know, it right away seemed so far fetched to have that amount of money to then start creating wealth for generations to come. There are ways to do it. And so I applaud you, Sanjay, for taking time and and committing yourself to helping teach kids financial literacy, because I think oftentimes we're just taught in no fault of our own. I mean, we don't know what we don't know, but to, you know, go to college, take out student loans, work, you know, from a nine to five until you're 65 or maybe 70 now, and then have a little bit of money to then do what you want to do. But at seven years old, I, I don't think I then want to start living my life. I want to start it, you know, I want to live it the entire time. And if you can start generating some wealth and some passive income and, you know, do all that, I just think there's so much opportunity and, and people aren't educated enough. And so again, I could talk hours. My wife could probably talk decades yeah. about it because that's right up her alley. So I might connect you guys. You never know. I think you guys oh, have a good conversation. Yeah, I'd love to do that. Thank you. Yeah, cool. Well, again, this has been great. We went a little longer than normal, but I think it was well worth it. This has been an absolute pleasure for myself. Well, Rob, Sanjay, this has been a fantastic conversation. I'm excited for Evolve. I'm excited for 2022. I'll put all the links in the show notes. And again, gentlemen, this has been great. And for everyone out there, always remember when the density's up and the gas is down, open the choke. Let's go to town. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, Justin. Love it. Thank Thanks. you. Thanks. Thanks again for listening. Tune in next week for another episode of Oil & Gas Onshore, a production of Oil & Gas Global Network. For more information, visit OGGN.com.